This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. We're talking real money. Inevitably, every single week, there's a Friday. And inevitably, every single Friday, I've got a bunch of questions that have been sent in by you for me to answer. So it all works out really well, doesn't it? So welcome to today's Q&A session on Talking Real Money. And we have a lot of them. These were all sent in via the Talking Real Money website by people using the contact form, which is just so easy, too easy, um, because almost everybody has a decent mic with their computers, particularly Apple computers. They just have great built-in mics. The iPhone mic, holy cow. I did an audition once on the iPhone mic when I was away, and it actually sounded decent. Didn't sound like a phone. So um, go to your website, go to our website, go to your device, go to our website and ask a question on the contact form at talkingrealmoney.com. Just speak it right in there. It really works well. And uh, since it's just a Q&A day, let's get to the Q so I can get to the A. Hey, Ron and Don. This is Joel. I'm uh, calling from Atlanta and uh, I kind of have a two-part question for you. First is, does a DIY retiree like myself benefit if my portfolio is a little more granular. That is, in the U.S. equity portion of my portfolio, I own uh, all large, mid, and small value ETFs, as well as large, mid, and small growth ETFs. My thought is I can sell shares of the ETFs in the categories that have performed the best, rather than selling from all categories across the board, like if my portfolio was in a target date fund and less granular. Uh, the second part is I've never heard you guys mention mid-cap domestic index ETFs like VOE or VOT. Um, and it seems like uh, I've never heard Paul Merriman mention those as well. So, any ideas on those two questions, I would really appreciate. And I thank you for your work and your podcast. Bye. Actually, that is not that granular. Um, in fact, I hope in there there's international. If there's no international, you're making a mistake. Uh, there needs to be international. It, it, this is fine. It, you're, if you follow a discipline, and you rebalance, you add to those classes that are down by selling those that are up or using new money, then totally in favor of this. Absolutely. As, as a matter of fact, for our clients, the portfolios are really granular. However, to answer your other question, why don't we use mid-cap? Because we don't find any evidence that mid-cap stocks add just folk overweighting mid-cap stocks adds anything or has in the past added anything to the value or uh, reduced volatility of a portfolio. 
So uh, we generally don't focus on it as a speci- as a specific asset class. Now, we may get some mid-cap just through the ETFs that we choose that are broad market-based ETFs, but we don't go out of our way to overweight mid-cap. And that kind of looks like what you may be doing. And it, again, if you don't have international, you are doing your future a great disservice. You must have international in there. And you could get even more granular. You could have REIT, a REIT uh, ETF, a Real Estate Investment Trust ETF. Add that in there too, possibly. So, uh, no, I I see nothing wrong with what you're doing. It's absolutely fine. Thanks for the question. I appreciate it. And now, it's time for another. All right, y'all advertise on Clark Howard, so here's your Clark stinks. Okay, guys, oh poor old Sue, you got her all nervous, and you know this really specifically listen to her. I heard her say somewhere around the fifty-five thousand, and I'm just a, a listener on the podcast. Second of all. The reverse mortgage, what about other options? How about tapering down work? Let's ask to see if she could work part-time. You know, maybe she doesn't want to spend just full-time with her grandparents, uh, grandchildren, so part-time would be great, an excellent alternative. There are just other things. The reverse mortgage, mm, man, from Clark Howard, you guys are smelly. Well, darn it. That should be Tom and Don stink, or I guess Don stinks because <laughs> it was me. Uh, you know, 20 years ago, I hated reverse mortgages, absolutely despised them. However, they've improved. There has been there have been new regulations written. There are limits on the fees that can be charged. Are they great? No. Are they an option for periods of desperation? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, 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 if somebody does not want to keep working, who am I to tell them to keep working? If, uh, if somebody wants to retire and they've got an asset that has accumulated cash within it, then why not use it in a in a period of desperation, in a period of high need, where you just don't have any other options. And that's what it sounded like to me. It sounded like she didn't have a lot of other options. Uh, so, but thank thank you for, for participating. We appreciate it and listening. And uh, I know, I know, I know Clark would disagree, but uh, they've really changed a lot over the past several years. They're better. They're not perfect. But it is an option that should, at least in a few rare cases, rare cases, be considered. Thank you so much. Next one. Here it is. Hi, I have a question for you guys. I have losses in all of my positions and I suffer from hodgepodgeitis. Even my target funds, VT and AVUV, are losses over the time that I have been invested in them. Should I rip the Band-Aid off and put everything in right now, or should I sell slowly and take the pain? I'm willing to be patient and sell over time. What would you recommend? Well, I can commiserate with you because uh, when I sold a business, and you guys all know which business, I ended up with a bunch of money that I had to invest, and I invested it all at once in a 70-30 portfolio that was properly diversified, blah, 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 blah. And uh, guess what? 
pretty much ever since I invested it, I'm I'm at a loss. I'm at a, uh, well, not a terrible loss, but it's a loss across the board in almost every asset class I own. Am I changing anything? No. Would I sell? Oh, no. No. The worst time to sell is after you've lost money. That's the ter- that's a terrible. The right time to sell. Here's the right time to sell. When you need money. That's when you sell and you just sell enough to get you what you need. Oh wait, there's one other reason to sell. And that's to rebalance. So let's say your bonds you have more a per- as a percentage. You've gotten up to 40% in bonds or 35% in bonds and you meant to have 30. Well, you sell some of those bonds and you buy more stocks with that money to get you back down to the 30% or vice versa. But those are the only times you sell. We are emotional creatures and you cannot allow your emotions to drive investment decisions. It is the worst thing you can possibly do. And that has been proven through all kinds of academic research for uh, over decades and decades, that your behavior is probably the number one driver of your performance going forward. Do you believe that the economy of the world at some point in the future, we don't know how long, will be more valuable than it is now? Bearing in mind that there has never been an extended period in which the economy of the world has failed to grow, even during the most horrific events of all time. The most horrific. I mean, I can go back to, you know, the Dark Ages. Guess what? China and the Middle East were doing very well economically. Uh, World War II, horrible time. European and Asian economies were battered, were practically destroyed. And yet the global economy just kept humming right along thanks to the Western Hemisphere. So, patience. Just be patient. Thanks for calling and checking in, though. That's why we're here, to try to help you stay patient. A couple of things. You can send your questions in at TalkingRealMoney.com, but also remember you can call them in at 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. Uh, And you can also call us live on Saturdays when Tom and I will be together on Saturday between 3 and 5 Eastern taking calls live, live. We can actually talk. So try that. 3 to 5 Eastern, noon to 2 Pacific. Now, question number four. After listening to several financial podcasts, Dave Ramsey, Clark Howard, Talking Real Money, etc., I recently, as recently as January of this year, opened up a backdoor Roth using after-tax dollars by making a non-deductible traditional IRA contribution and immediately converting those dollars into a Roth IRA. As you know, this is a common strategy for people over the AGI limits for a Roth contribution to benefit from the tax-deferred, tax-free benefits of that type of an account. However, subsequently I learned that since I already have an existing traditional pre-tax IRA, the IRS looks at the entire balance of all traditional, simple, and SEP IRAs to determine how much of the contribution to the backdoor IRA is taxable and not taxable. In my case, the tax liability is calculated 
as follows. I have a traditional IRA with a balance of 435000 Sum that with the non-deductible or the Roth IRA, uh, the non-deductible after-tax IRA balance of $7,000, which I put into the Roth, giving me a total IRA balance of $442,000. The non-taxable portion of the conversion would then be the $7,000 divided by the $442, or roughly 1.6%. The taxable portion of the conversion, though, is the bad news, and that is it's 98.4% taxable. So for the total amount that I converted uh, into the backdoor Roth of $7,000, of which $6,888 approximately is uh, taxable. I'm currently in the 32% tax bracket as my AGI is about $210,000. So my question for you is, uh, I find it hard to believe that there are other investors with AGIs above the threshold who may also have existing traditional pre-tax IRAs or SEPs or SIMPLEs. I'm curious to know what strategies they use to mitigate some of the tax liability. Um, or if this is something that everybody um, has to uh, deal with. Secondly, since the IRS code doesn't allow for a reversal of a Roth, uh, how would you recommend I proceed to minimize my tax liabilities? As I see it, my options are as follows. I can close the account and pay a one-time 10% penalty and the tax accumulated on the account value since January of this year. Number two, I can assume the tax liability is a one-time charge and no longer fund the account, so I pay the taxes once and then leave it sit in there. Or number three, try to recharacterize the converted funds back to a traditional or just leave it alone in the Roth IRA. In your opinion, which would be the best option? I should also note that I'll be 59 and a half years of age as of January 1st, 2024, and I'm not sure if that would lower the tax burden. Thank you for your time. Wow. Thanks for the long and detailed call. You had a lot of detail, which is helpful. Um, it's, I don't know how to say this. We we mention most of the time when we talk about backdoor Roths, that anyone with a traditional IRA or simple or SEP or whatever it might be, a traditional one on which the withdrawals will be taxable, you must consider the tax liability that those will impart. And you considered it, but you considered it after the fact, which is too late. So this is a lesson for everybody listening. If you're going to do a backdoor Roth and you have other traditional IRA accounts, you need to calculate, as this gentleman did, what your tax liability will be. And while it's not pretty, it's not in this case because of the small amount that was backdoored. It's not going to be a lot of cash out of pocket. It's, well, it's going to be a couple of thousand bucks, 1,500 bucks. Um, but that's, that's your only option. That or the 10%. So, uh, I, I mean, the, 10% may be the less painful way to go. It used to be you could reverse a backdoor Roth. Since 2017, you haven't been able to do that. So once it's done, it's done. And you either have to pay the tax or you um, you 
you take the, the penalty for a withdrawal. I would probably just go ahead and pay the tax at this juncture because it's just like converting a regular IRA to a Roth in a way. Uh, but there's really no strategy. The strategy that people use is not doing it if they have a lot of money in traditional accounts. The strategy, actually, the best, I keep mentioning this strategy over and over again, and for some reason people can't hear it because they're stuck on this idea of the account itself being tax-advantaged. But you forget that there is a tax-advantaged way to invest that avoids a large percentage of your taxes along the way and defers them until you withdraw the money. And that is buying a growth ETF, an index ETF, index ETF, in just your regular brokerage account. Because index ETFs rarely, can't say never, but they rarely distribute capital gains along the way like you get from a normal mutual fund. This is not the case with an active product or a product that games the system. This is only with indexes. But if you buy an index ETF, particularly a small cap or a small cap value or an emerging growth, something that doesn't pay out a lot of dividends, you get tax deferred growth for as long as you hold that security, which is nice. I mean, it's not great, but it's better than nothing. So yeah, there's not a thing you can do. I'm really sorry. The strategy I would use here at the end is, I if it was mine, I'd probably just pay the taxes, carry on, because it's tax-free growth from there on. Now, one more, one more, because I think we're at our, oh yeah, we're way over. We're, we're over time, but I'm going to take one more question, and then we're out of here. So here it is. Kevin Dodd, I'm 61 years old. I'll be 62 this August. Um I'm planning on retiring at 65 and building an income bridge to age 70, at which time I'll take Social Security. Um, I'm thinking about laddering in some multi-year guaranteed annuities for those five years. And I was wondering if you think that's a good strategy. Uh, they are paying better than any CDs I can get. Um, just wonder if you think that's a better strategy than like a total return approach from a 60-40 portfolio, or if you could offer a, a better option that I may not be thinking about. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Well, you, I think, probably know my opinion on annuities. Um, they're not as safe as they're made out to be. They're not. They are guaranteed by whom? By the insurance company? By a state insurance pool? Well, we've seen in many cases, we just recently did a podcast on that, on how these insurance pools eh, may not uh, protect you as much as you think. Certainly not like the immediate protection you get from the FDIC. Uh, and the rates on annuities aren't that good. You're, you're talking about doing a five-year ladder. Well, a five-year ladder, the, the best rate I can find for an annuity, best rate for a high-quality fixed annuity is 5.5% for a three-year. Now, the last time I looked at Schwab's brokered CD rates, they were almost identical. They were in the fives. 
was like five and a quarter or 5.3. So in the ballpark. And they're FDIC insured. Big, big difference in my opinion. However, you mentioned something else. And this is what I am doing. I am going to do myself. I have not yet retired, but when and when I do, if I do before I hit 70, my plan all along has to has been to take income from my portfolio as needed as needed to supplement my life until I get to Social Security. And my supplement currently would be from a 70-30 portfolio, but later on might be a 60-40 portfolio. I may go, I probably will go more conservative as I get older. So I think the best answer for most people, the one that provides you with the best potential longer term, considering you're just going to take an income from it, you are not going to need to take everything out. So you wouldn't be removing a ton of money in a down market should there be one when you need it is to go with a balanced portfolio for everything and just say, I need X amount at the beginning of this year. And if that X amount is less than 5% of the portfolio value, we've run the numbers. If you have stocks and bonds in your portfolio, there, there, there isn't a portfolio we've seen that would have in the past run out of money at a 5% flexible withdrawal rate. So I would not buy annuities. One, you got to buy annuities from annuity salespeople generally. You can get some that are no load. Um, but uh, the guarantees are not just not that good. They're really not as good. They're not as good as a full faith and fed, uh, credit federal guarantee or FDIC. So. Thank you so much for calling. Thank you. Calling. <laughs> Going to TalkingRealMoney.com and recording a question. Thank you all for being a part of the program. If you would like us to help you at our firm, Appella Wealth, we have lots of great advisors, none of whom, none of whom will pressure you to become a client. They will just provide you with the help you're looking for, as long as that help can be accomplished in you know less than an hour. If you want us to manage your money, then pay us. It's not that much. It's a lot less than most, and I do mean most, of the investment advice providers out there. So if you want to hire us, you're going to find it's cheap. As a matter of fact, we just talked about the number recently on a, I think it was a 60-40 portfolio. If you have less than a million dollars, which means our highest rate, you would pay like 1.13, and I'm, I'm, I'm going from the top of my head, 1.2-ish per year for an advisor, not just a salesperson, but a real advisor. Somebody can call them and go, hey, Derek, I need help with this. Hey, Tom, hey, Taylor, hey, whomever. Um, and um, you'll get the help you need you'll get rebalance you won't believe the stuff you get which is far more than you're going to get from most mutual funds you can get a mutual fund a just a mutual fund sold to you by some broker somewhere that will cost you more than that per year for nothing more than managing that fund for everybody there's nothing personal about it so go to talkingrealmoney.com and uh, set up a meeting with one of our advisors it's really free it's really easy and you're not going to get a high pressure sales pitch just click on meet an advisor 
And call us on Saturdays. Call us. We love to talk with you. 855-935-TALK every Saturday. And keep listening to the podcasts and telling friends and leaving reviews, except for you grumpy people who don't like the t- the fact that we try to have a little fun with the show. Grumpy, grumpy. Um, uh, otherwise, I'm leaving. I'm done. I'm out of here. I got to go do some stuff because I've got family coming next week. I am Don McDonald. Talk to you really soon. Well, I'll talk to you about real money. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for informational, educational, and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately and consistently predict the future, so past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Appella Capital, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. Are we done now?